0: What makes the gospel beautiful? There is something in all of us that craves beauty, goodness, and happiness. While believers seek this in the Lord, unbelievers seek this in the things of the world that will never satisfy them. I'm your host, Aaron Miller, pastor of Equipping at Grace Baptist Church in Santa Clarita, California. Welcome to Magnify. Is that how it works for you? They just line up, like on your calendar. Corona just has, one, and you just go from thing to thing to thing. Yeah. How much time do you usually have to mentally prepare to? Okay, now I got to have this conversation. Now I have to go
1: prep this or speak at that. You make it sound either worse or better than it is. I'm not as good as you're making me sound, and the schedule's not as bad as it seems. It seems that way though.
0: Like yesterday, we're hanging out. You you leave your meeting. Yeah. And then you have a two hour or an hour and a half. Yeah. Time with the guys. Do you prep at all for your master's classes?
1: Oh, yeah. Do you? Yeah, like I already did this morning for the Theo class. Uh, fortunately, the preaching classes, they're just preaching today, so I don't have to prep. I just got to— But the prep
0: is something that's already in you. You're looking at your notes. And... Yeah,
1: but there's a lot of material there, yeah, and I right. just will start theology proper today, and I'm going to go through the four philosophical arguments for the existence of God, and there's always tons and tons of questions about that. Yeah, especially the ontological one, right. which is Anselm saying, you know, you can't th- think of something that doesn't exist. Right. So if you can think of God, he must be the greatest thing you can think of. Because if you think of something bigger than God, then that would be God. It's,
0: Anselm seems like a dodge with that, but it's actually one of the most profound things to think on.
1: Yeah, but none of them can actually nail down 100% that the God of the Bible is the God you're thinking of. It just makes him the very, very, very best candidate. But, you know, as we say about theology, it's faith seeking understanding. Mm-hmm. And uh, the unbeliever wants understanding before faith. And so much of what we come to understand in biblical Christianity is that we can't understand the Bible until, the, the really, the depths of it, until the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. When you think about the understanding people want,
0: though, I do think they are surprised by very simple verifications that God uses. Right. Oh, and absolutely. that's like, oh, I don't I don't fully understand that or comprehend that, but I am drawn to and we are going to talk about that today. I'm drawn towards that. So Jesus obviously did signs and miracles for a reason. It verified something that they could hang the the code of their faith. It's like a hook they could hang their
1: faith on. Yeah. But he also said to Thomas, "Blessed are those who have not seen and believe." No doubt. I just think that there's both of those stories out there. Yeah. I mean, I keep thinking about the demons, they know for sure. And they believe that it's true that Jesus rose from the dead and that he did all that, but they don't, they don't call upon him in you know Romans ten. And there's a, just a fiduciary sense that they don't, they don't place their trust in him. They don't place their lives in his hands and follow him as Lord. That's the difference between someone who knows everything and even believes it to be true, but has not been drawn in okay. saving faith to a, a position where they deny self, take up their cross and follow. Before I became a Calvinist, which was young, like in college,
0: but I'm yeah. saying before I embraced that theology, I would get in my own head and, and, and play games with myself, thinking like, do I really believe this or have it just been raised in its proximity and so it's not true uh, to myself and it would just kinda really mess with my thinking.
1: I think one of the great examples is the, the guy we call the prodigal son which most people have no idea what prodigal means. It doesn't mean that he ran away. It comes from the word prodigious. Mm. And it has to do with the fact that he took his fortune and just spent it. He was just so generous with it that it was over. But anyway, the the point is is that he goes away and, and at a certain point the text says he came to his senses. And I think there are all kinds of people who have dabbled with religion, have even studied Christianity, who go to church who whatever but but their senses have never been awakened by the idea that god has given us faith you know for by grace are you save through faith and that not of yourselves there is a there is a divine element that is the variable that matters and so the whole idea that somehow we're going to stack up evidence and as soon as there's enough evidence then people will believe and come to faith in christ just isn't the biblical model okay uh, how old were you when you came to faith? Good question. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that—that's the story of the prodigal 16.
0: son. Okay, but that's the story of the prodigal son. It, it is a story of salvation, right? You're coming to your to yeah to your senses, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. but a lot of people run away and do whatever and never come to their senses. And that was my that was my point with what I was saying earlier. Before I embraced biblical theology, Reformed theology, yeah. for me it was like I didn't have a moment where it just was unsettling. I just felt like it was just rehearsed into me. It wasn't wasn't owned which you know god used that obviously but.
1: well there's this great song that we don't sing because we're not reformed enough i guess and it starts off i sought the lord and afterward i knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me it was not i that found O savior true no i was found of thee mm. so on the human perspective long time ago when you guys were I don't even know if you, you might have been alive, but these two weren't. There was a whole thing called the I Found It campaign that was, was nationwide put out by Campus Crusade. All these billboards and advertisements and on TV and radio and everything. Hey, I found it, and you can find it too. And it put all the onus on the individual to go search and to find Jesus. And that song kept resonating in my head because by that time I was a Calvinist as well. Because I figured if it was good enough for Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me, right, to be a Calvinist. And, you know, he moved my soul to seek him, how? By seeking me. Hmm. And so the whole apologetic method that we have to use is that we, we are going to sow the seed, mm-hmm. and there's all these soils, and the only soil where it actually germinates and produces fruit, not just show, is a soil that's been prepared, and I would say that the Spirit is the one who's gone in and prepared it. Hmm. So he was always there first in in anybody who is drawn to Jesus savingly.
0: Well friends, you've obviously walked in the room. We're already streaming. Thanks for joining us. Sitting down once again with our friend and senior pastor David Heg, just enjoying friendly conversations, but Dave, today we're going to talk about something that I don't want to make it too abstract, but there is a particular beauty to the Christian life. There's a particular attractiveness that comes with the gospel. Right, so so this world they still long for truth and goodness and beauty. The world is drawn towards stories of fracture and repair, good versus evil, dark versus light. Uh, They want community. They want to understand their identity. They want a place to belong. But the world only desires these things to a point, and it's at that breaking point that I want to focus today. So Romans three tells us, Dave, that none is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks for God. But does this mean that the unbeliever can't find the Christian worldview attractive?
1: You know, I think basically what we're talking about is the the selfishness of the human soul. Hmm. Uh, they're restless. I mean, Augustine, a great 4th century church father, said, you know, you ha- speaking to God, he said, you have made us for yourself, and our souls are restless until... They find their rest in B, And so I think, I mean, you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer to look at our culture and say, people are restless. They're looking for something, but they're looking for something that will make them feel a certain way. And uh, more and more in our society, people are saying, look, I, I'm independent. I'm in charge of my own soul. I'm going to pull my own strings. I'm going to look out for number one. Uh, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm in a plot my life along the course of what makes me happy. You know, we could even go back. We used to talk about Carl Truman and, and the book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It used to be that you sought what God wanted or you sought what society wanted. Now we seek what we want. So I, I think when we were talking before, you were, you told me that people are seeking for what they want, hoping God will provide it, but not necessarily seeking God. Right. Yeah. Right. His things, his stuff. Right. Right. And unfortunately, I think some in the broader uh, evangelical world have adopted that. It's what's called felt needs preaching to say, you know, Jesus is here. He's going to really help you be a better dad. He's going to lift you out of your depression. He's going to help you be a better wife. He's going to maybe find you a wife. He's going to do all these things for you. And any messes you get in, he's going to clean up. And it's all free. You know, you really don't have to change or much. Maybe become a little nicer person, give some money to the church. And unfortunately that is a widespread thought in our churches today Mm. around especially in the West. And the whole idea that, wait a minute, I'm not my own. If I were responsible for everything, then I would look at my life and go, "I, I can't blame anybody else but me. Right. Fact is, they want something to provide the happiness they seek but we need to tell them that the happiness they seek is a byproduct of submitting themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, what a worldly way to pursue Christ. Yeah. So they're attracted to the
0: things of God the same way a lost person is is attracted to the tenets of Christianity but for reasons they don't understand why, you know. Such an empty it's an empty apologetic. It's not a defense or a display of anything that is beautiful intrinsically about Christ and the life of Christ.
1: Yeah, because I think a lot of churches are just trying to be big and important and popular and famous. And I know that's—I don't like saying that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't want to see that. But we've, we've, <laughs> we've commodified God. We've made him a commodity that we can give you, uh, and all you got to do is be part of what we're doing. You know, someone has said that because we're made in the image of God, there is a God-shaped hole in our hearts, yeah. and I, I think people are trying to fill it. Um, Some will try religion. Some will try the opposite, you know, hedonism. Some will try everything. And more and more our culture is saying, don't try God, because that's just a myth. It's archaic. It's anti-intellectual. It's anti-scientific. And I think, obviously, that's not true. But that gives us the opportunity in a very dark world to shine the light of truth that God is real, and as we've said, God is right, Mm -hmm. and God is reliable in those times that, uh, adversity seems to be the only thing that's wallpapering the walls of our life. At that level
0: all pursuits are religious. Yeah. Everything right. is, right? right? And and I mean you interact with people cuz you're out in the community. You're not just yeah. like pent up in your office yeah. downstairs. You're you have neighbors, uh you've been belong to a gym, um you you're at Starbucks, you're just you're out there. Right. And I imagine you've had some pretty inner Interesting interactions with people once they find out you're a Baptist you pastor. Know,
1: it's pretty funny, actually. I when I used to play golf, which I don't do much anymore, I would go out by myself, and they'd stick me with two other guys or three other guys, and we'd tee off, and we'd get to about the third, fourth hole, and we start. People start asking me, "So what do you do?" And I said, "Well, I'm a I'm a pastor of the Baptist church down, you know, you know on Copper Hill," mm. and immediately some guys. Would go. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was, I was swearing. I said this word and that word, and, and, and then other guys will go. Oh, yeah. I don't have any. I don't really have any time for religion. I don't even believe in God. So there's this huge divide. Some people still want a pastor to think well of them. Others want the pastor to know they don't think well of him.
0: Yeah. Right. Because of certain stigmas,
1: I guess. Well, experiences yeah. Like I, I think the main thing today, the stigmas used to be different. But I think as, as we sit here today in this studio and we think about our culture, the greatest thing is a, is a, a huge misconception that Christians hate everybody else. Because there are some— That comes from somewhere, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not without some evidence. Right. But that also gives us this great opportunity as those who are out for the glory of God to act differently, to act what I would say actually Christianly. One of the things I've done a lot, you and I have talked about this, is like when I'm at Starbucks, I've gotten to know the, the baristas a lot. And mm-hmm. There are certain people that are always there at 6.15 in the morning when I get there, and there's a guy named Glenn and uh, his girlfriend Amy, and, you know, we chat and we talk, and what I find is, you know, especially if some of the younger generation comes in, they have a tattoo, mm-hmm. I, I, I just go, hey, tell me about your tat. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Because then they, they just, you know, especially the guys who have the whole sleeve or the girls who have some butterflies or whatever. You did that with a guy named uh, J. Ray. Yeah, <laughs> J. Ray. J. Ray, Jay if Ray. you're listening, we he, remember you. Yeah. They'll just unfold their entire life story. Yeah. And if you listen and then ask questions about them and then share a little bit of your story, it breaks down, I think, these misconceptions. Have you ever experienced
0: someone who was, you know, started off being hostile? but then warmed up to the yeah, conversation? Yeah,
1: I have, especially at the gym. Yeah. I, they were suspect of me. I mean, quite frankly, I understand why. I mean, I'm an old, bald, uh, overweight pastor who now shows up at a CrossFit gym, and and they're all thinking, once they find out I'm a pal, oh, he's here to evangelize. He's here to give us Jesus. And there was a lot of—I mean, they weren't outwardly um, evil or mad, but— I just started asking questions, but in the gym, the thing that happened that really helped is that I helped everybody put their weights away. You know, when you're all done, you got all this stuff around you that you've sure. used for the hour, and you got to put it away. And some people were really super tired. I was. I was. <laughs> I was busted up. But I just thought I'm going to be a servant. I know that sounds arrogant. I'm not trying to. Be I don't think so. I'm not trying to be the hero of my own stories. I'm I think just it's saying, following Jesus. I figured a way that I could get around their defensiveness, because they had a misconception about me. And I wanted to change that misconception by getting to know their names, remembering their names, asking about their families, what they did. And I still have several friends from Mm -hmm. that gym uh, who don't even go there anymore, that we still have lunch, we still talk. And little by little, they start asking me questions. Yeah, that's what the did key. you
0: say? One, you've said it more than once that you might be. You told the congregation you might be the only Bible people read.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm sure I stole that from somebody. I mean, that's but yeah. you've you've had those testimonies where
0: people in your gym or down at Starbucks, uh, maybe at first it was hostile, maybe at first it was awkward, but they circle back around because even lost people want good marriages, and maybe they're having problems with their spouse. Well, or, here's
1: what I've found. Everybody's going to go through a dark period, no matter what, Christian or unbeliever. Believers have people to go to. They have one anothering friends and family in their church, and their pastors or their Bible study leaders, or maybe they're the leaders or whatever. Mm -hmm. But unbelievers are still in darkness, and when adversity hits them, they don't know what to do. And so if they know a believer who has shown interest in them, and seems safe, they will come to you. We had some neighbors uh, back in Corona, and they were not all that interested in who we were. I was the Baptist pastor. They weren't involved in anything like that. And and then she had a miscarriage, and they didn't know what to do. Mm. So I went over, spent some time with them, prayed with them, helped them plant a, a little bush in their yard to m- remember this infant girl who mm-hmm. didn't make it all the way to to birth. And that broke a barrier. And we ended up having, you know, probably a 12-year relationship with that family. Now, you know, they never came to Christ, but we were able to share the, the gospel with them, Sherilyn with her and I with the guy, and our kids played together. That one instance just really opened a door into their lives. And And as we've talked about before, I don't believe that it's always going to be the case or very often going to be the case where I'm going to be in somebody's life at the time when God actually draws them savingly to Jesus. Mm -hmm. He's drawing them over time. Maybe it's a thousand different circumstances or steps. My goal is just to be used of Christ to draw them from step 595 to 612 or whatever it is. Same thing when I'm on the plane you know, talking to when I'm flying somewhere and someone's sitting next to me, I always try and find a way out to say, I usually say, hey, you know, I just want you to know I'm a a pastor of a church. I teach theology at a university. And I always make a joke out of it and say, you know, at some point in your life, you were hoping you could ask somebody some questions about God or the Bible or history or whatever. So this is your chance. Yep. And often they will. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I, yeah. And they
0: probably are surprised. Like this this has happened with me with one particular young couple I've been meeting with. They're not believers. And one of the things I think they've expressed is how much they've been surprised that uh, we are normal. I know. <laughs> and, and our worldview is pretty normal. Right. Like it's pretty consistent with what they experience and the human element and all of that. And that is that, that's just attractive to people, and they may not
1: be able to understand or
0: be able to articulate why that is.
1: Well, let me go out on some thin ice here, but I think one of the things that the world right now thinks is that if you're a Christian, that you are a Christian nationalist, and it's, mm. it's all about taking the, the country by storm and making it a theocracy, and I think this is another real opportunity. I think there are opportunities for us to, to say, no, that's not who we are. And I think it's we got to be very careful. Mm-hmm. we got to stay biblical. But that's a big icebreaker, too, if they understand, hey, you know, we're just like you. We're concerned about uh, the poor. We're concerned about the homeless. We're concerned about our kids. We're concerned about education. Yeah. Uh, we're concerned about the earth, all those things. And it, it can kind of level the playing field. Because yeah. I think the point of it all, though, is that as believers, we have to have an others focus and i think one of the key things to remember is when you see somebody who is an unbeliever and maybe they are demonstrating you know characteristics or demonstrating aspects in their life which are, are heinous you know their their sexual preferences or their their political views whatever we've got to see them not as what they are but we've got to see them as who what satan has he has them in their grip In in Colossians 1, it says, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness. In Romans 6 and 7, Paul talks about when you were slaves to sin. So I like to say, people who are uh, are unbelievers, they're prisoners of war right? Mm. They've been, uh, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.26, they've been held captive by Satan mm. to do his will. So you look at him and you say, man, I don't like the choices they make. I don't like the lifestyle they have. I don't like the way they think about God. I don't like anything about them. We got to get over that. Yeah. And we got to approach them. And what I found, and you find this too, when you start asking questions about people and you just listen to them, they like talking about those things. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they feel like, oh, you you really care about me. You really know me. Right. And over time, you might even get to the place where they think you're safe. And when they think you're safe and adversity hits, they may come and say, hey, you know, I, I don't know what to do. You know, my my daughter I just got arrested for drugs and I or whatever. What does that mean? What mm-hmm. should I do? And you get a chance to come alongside them with real love. And share the Lord Jesus Christ with them, because you've already shared your life with them, and they loved your life, or they appreciated your life, and now they might be willing to hear about your Jesus.
0: And I don't know one Christian believer that hasn't had the experience within their salvation story where they realized, oh, this is really, it really is what I want. I want this. Right. You know? And, And I am going to assume, because we're all made in God's image, that for even the unbelieving prisoners of war, God has put... Things within their nature that causes them to search for where those desires are going to be able to be fulfilled. You
1: know, it's interesting because I was just thinking about Paul in Acts seventeen when you know Mm -hmm. he's in Athens and he's talking about some stuff, and they invite him up on top of the Mars Hill to you know debate them and talk with them, and he said, you know what? God has fixed a time where He's going to judge everybody. And he says, you know, he's put boundaries on where you can live and how you act, but he really wants you to, and Paul says, that you should seek God and perhaps feel your way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Hmm. And so he's, he's admitting that the philosophers, the Athenians that he's dealing with, you guys, you got all these statues to these gods and even one to the unknown God, and I want to tell you about him, okay? So it's different than our situation, but we want to tell these people about our God. And one of the ways we do that is we say, okay, you've got your worldview. Just let me share you my worldview. Hmm. And when they see in our worldview something that they can't explain, they can't deal with, but they want, Hmm. that's when... We get to open up and tell them, well, my life is surrendered to Jesus Christ. The second thing I would say is that today we see a lot of people wanting to be free, free from any rules, free from anybody else's expectations. But over time, they're going to find out it's not it's not that great to mm-hmm. be independent. Right? It, it's not that great to go through life alone. And so one of the other things we have, in, we have going for us is that we're not our own, we have a Lord and Savior who's perfect, who only wants what's best for us. Plus, we're going down the road of of spiritual progress and maturity with a group of people who want to one another us, who want to care for us. Hmm. So the community that the unbeliever is looking for, the believer has. Right. The security that the unbeliever is looking for, we believers have. The truth, oh my goodness. I mean, we've all gone through this COVID thing, Right. Right everything is now determined by well that was pre-covid or covid or post-covid right but one of the great results of covid is that nobody knows what's right nobody mm-hmm. knows what's true who do we trust mm-hmm. and so what that's done is that has caused us a lot of people in our world to say man we're we're living on shaky ground right so in christ we have solid ground so we have what they want
0: and that's why the christian life is so inclusive because Every human being desires the outcomes that only Christ can, can, you know, provide. But it's exclusive because it boxes out
1: all of solutions. Yeah. You know. And so what do we do? We live lives that are others-focused. We lean into other people. We go toward other people. We, we, you got to put yourself in a place where there are unbelievers. You know, part of the problem is that we as Christians, especially as a pastor— Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually have to find ways to interact with unbelievers. Yep, right. And if you want to, you know, you can go to a Christian who owns a gas station. You go to a Christian doctor. You can send your set kids to a Christian school. You have all friends who are Christians. Man, alive, we we got to branch out.
0: Where do you think we could grow in terms of how we think about our place in this in this town as a church?
1: <sighs> yeah, I think, you know, someone has said that sometimes the church becomes a holy huddle. Mm-hmm. You know, that that we're so afraid of the temptations that are out in the world that we don't venture out there. But, you know, we've, we've come up with this little paradigm. Some people want to go to war with culture. Uh, you know, go out there and just be mad at everybody who's different and try and politically force people into righteousness. On the other end of the spectrum, there are those who want to withdraw from culture whether they actually move to another state or whether they just wholly huddle with their family and their Christians and keep their kids from anything that might culturally influence them, neither of those are what Christ asks of us. He told his disciples, go and be witnesses. Hmm. So we need to witness, and that means we we really walk a razor's edge. Because if you get too mad and frustrated, you fall into the war thing. If you get... If you just resign yourself that the world's going to hell in a handbasket, there's nothing we can do, you go to the withdrawal side. right? So we got to walk that thing. We've got to be in the world but not of it. We've got to have contact without compromise, right? Salt of the earth, but you can't become so fixated with the culture that you lose your saltiness because you become more like it than you are like Christ. So it's hard work is what I'm saying. No, it absolutely is. And that's why we need the church because we need the church to continue to to teach us and encourage us and walk with us as we are witnesses of Christ in a hostile culture. And one of the things I appreciate about
0: your leadership, Dave, because you do practice what you preach, right? And folks, you just got to know There's nothing that David ever asks any of his pastors or the congregation that he's he and Sherilyn together aren't trying to sow into their lives. And so you you talk about your influence in the gym or at Starbucks or with your neighbors when crisis hits. Uh, You you know, I know you're doing other things through your column. You've been able to uh, have an impact in the community, and that gives you a platform to have discussions with local politicians and educators. And you really do find those strategic areas and. I think you 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 are you are modeling. I'm not I'm not trying just to puff up your head. Uh, you are modeling that biblical
1: balance of being in but not of, and sometimes that's not
0: an easy thing to do. And I think you do that very
1: well. Well, thank you again. I don't I don't really want to be the hero of all our stories here. I'm just trying to. I mean, I, here's my overused word, right? Hmm. I'm just. I don't need to be famous. I don't need to be you know super known. Have a brand and all the other stuff. I just want to be useful.
0: Because
1: hmm. I think when you're useful, that's when God actually—you you get closer to the heart of God, and you realize how good it is that he is good.
0: Very Zinzendorfian of you.
1: Yes, very. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Zinzendorf was a Moravian leader, led John Wesley to the Lord, and he had a motto that I've adopted. It's preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. And at first that hits us. But the truth behind it is, is that if all we're worried about is what people are going to think about us when we're done, we're probably not going to do all the best things now. Mm -hmm. So do the best things now, let your legacy, leave that to God, he'll take care of it. Well, Dave, what would be some helpful resources for our people in what we're discussing? As I was walking up here, I left my office, I grabbed three things. David Wells has written a book called Above All Earthly Powers. It's It's Christ in a postmodern world. It's it's a little bit older Hmm. because nobody talks about postmodernism anymore. But it's a very good book about the the cultural effects of postmodernism and how it has changed the the paradigm of people's lives, and that how Christ is still the answer. And then uh, a book that I love by David Kinnaman, who is a a journalist, and it's called UnChristian. And he went around and did an amazing amount of questions in public places and crowds and then put all the data together. And he's come up with kind of a picture of what the typical unbeliever, the educated, upwardly mobile uh, person, man or woman, that's 25 to 35 in America, what they really think about religion, Hmm. about Christianity in particular, and quite frankly, it's... It's daunting the data. It, it's pretty sad. Hmm. As you know, the the people who, when asked what their religion is, put none, right? Yeah. Now outnumber everybody else. Right. And so what do we do? That's a it's a really good book. David Kinneman Unchristian. And then a really new book by Joshua Chatra, C H A T R A W. Yeah. Amazing book. Why don't you talk about this one, Aaron? I know you've read it. Yeah, no,
0: It's a book that uh, Jared Burkholder recommended a few months ago. When I read it, I, I I just went through it in one day. I just couldn't put it down. And then I took a trip to England with my family, read read it again on the airplane and kept talking about it. It's a different approach to apologetics, but it's not. It really is tapping into how people think and how they listen and how they communicate. And it's through narrative. And so the title of the book is telling a better story and it's just kind of what Dave and I are describing in the normal interactions that we have with people people have a story their life is a narrative they think through their own existence I think through like movie reels if you will that's our pop culture and that's how people see themselves in their mind's eye and all we're doing as Christ followers is we're coming alongside of people and we're tapping into that movie reel and we're asking questions and if asked we're able to share our narrative and once we realize that all of world history is the combination of all of these stories into the ultimate meta story uh, of of God's redemption. That's where it becomes kind of a beautiful thing. So it, it is an apologetic. It's kind of helping us think through how to have conversations. And the book will actually end with uh, some of the classical apologetic approaches and why that's necessary as well. But it's highly recommended. I think you'd enjoy it.
1: Yeah. On the back, uh, you know, on the back of a the back cover of a book, they always tell you the one thing you need to know. And it's this, people today don't just believe Christianity is false. They assume it isn't good. Mm -hmm. So you got to start there and then we live our lives in a way that proves them wrong. It's a great book. Dave, I love you, man. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Aaron.
0: Well, folks, thanks for streaming in. Happy to have you. We're going to have the next few episodes be with some special guests. So please stream in see you actually i won't see you but you'll hear us on another episode of magnify thank you so much for joining us today make sure to subscribe to the magnify podcast so you never miss an episode all the resources we recommend can be found in the grace library so please be sure to check that out if you enjoyed this episode Share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review.
1: Thanks so much for streaming.